Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. This episode with Billy White from Luxon MX. Luxon MX, not just another triple clamp company. These are passionate engineers driven to outperform the status quo. You can save 10% on Luxon MX by entering discount code BIGMX at checkout. On a set of triple clamps, they go with about a $1,000 touch. So enter that discount code. You instantly save yourself $100 off of your purchase. You can put that towards some bar mounts or something else from Luxon MX, or maybe you can take that $100 and then go and get yourself a Guts Racing seat, complete seat, seat base, seat foam, seat cover. Save yourself 20% on that with Big MX 20 at checkout. Now, Luxon MX, one of my favorite companies in the sport, they are extremely innovative and they're always trying to get better at what they do. They have a ton of guys running their their stuff in Supercross right now. I think about 30 different athletes. And the craziest thing about that is like obviously when you see other athletes running product at the highest the like in the factory levels, all those guys are getting paid to run their stuff. They probably really like that brand, but they probably wouldn't be running it if they didn't get the check that came along with it. When it comes to Luxon MX, when you see somebody running their product, you know for sure that they're l- running that product because they like it. They really enjoy the performance and they get a lot out of using that product. Yeah, they might get some free product from Billy, but they're not paid advertisers. They're not running the product just because they're getting paid to do so. Luxon MX is also the official triple clamp company of Two Strokes Racing in Supercross. Both Jared Lesher and Jared Steinke are running the triple clamps on their 252 strokes right now in Supercross. Honestly, love both those guys. Need to get Jared Lesher on the podcast sometime soon. Haven't been able to get in touch with Stanky recently. Uh, he's usually pretty busy uh, driving coast to coast to coast to coast. So uh, he's a little bit more difficult to get a hold of. But hey, maybe we'll, we'll sauce out the invite and see if we can get him here on the Big MX Radio podcast. He's certainly done the show before. All right, guys. Time for another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, as well as many others that we've we've done, this being episode 914. In fact, in the last month, since February 24th of last year, or or January 24th of last month, we've released... 22 different podcasts include not including one that I reposted. So we've actually we'd have to put up uh, 23 different podcasts. Uh, if you happen to listen to the archive version of the my podcast with Andy Frisella from the MFCEO project as well as First Form Supplements, maybe you'll go back and listen to that podcast. Really, really interesting. He teaches everybody about how to add value and grab some sponsors along the way. All right, guys, let's throw it to Billy White and Luxon MX. As always, thanks for listening. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Racetech. Racetech Gold Valves, pretty much a revalve in a box. Don't believe me? Call them up today, mention Big MX Radio, and not only are you one step closer to getting your bike handling a little bit better, or maybe you're getting your suspension mods done, but you're going to save some money by mentioning Big MX Radio over email or when you call them up. Also with us on the line is Luxon MX. Luxon MX is not just another triple clamp company. They are passionate engineers driven to surpass the status quo. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, we have the sole proprietor and the guy who pulls all the strings at Luxon MX. He's Billy White. Billy, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, my friend. It's Thursday. We have Arlington Supercross coming up. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how uh, that all shakes out. You know, Saturday night, I'm glued to the tube watching these guys make it look way easier than you and I do. Same. Absolutely. So, who, who, aside from the many athletes that run Luxon MX product, who, who do you cheer for? Uh, well, obviously everybody with our stuff. Um, that's generally who I'm watching. It's a uh, it's a bit of a different experience when you've actually got parts out there and and things are on the line for you. Um, so I'm often not even seeing a lot of the races. I'm just looking at my guys. 
you're just looking you're looking at like the edges of the screen to see if you can find uh one of your guys if they're not on screen uh although uh that the one time that uh, earlier in the season uh everyone got a ton of look at and unfortunately they won't get to see it much the rest of the season uh phil nicoletti not only uh, like all eyes were on your triple clamps because they were also illuminated <laughs> yeah um i mean we've been doing pretty well with uh getting some airtime and and guys and whatnot um uh, Especially in LCQs, we get a lot of guys in the LCQ. Uh, but we've been pretty consistently getting some guys in the mains through the, uh, the heat races and everything. So they may not be the first place guy or second place, but uh, they're right there. So it's it's been pretty good. Hundred percent, and 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 Luxon is an emerging brand, so that that's going to become more and more uh, common as the years go by. So um, from a, an entrepreneurship standpoint. Talent, like entrepreneurship is based in talented individuals solving problems to a particular product or a service, something along those lines. What's that story for Luxon MX? Well, uh, I've always had uh, some moto in my background. I, uh, I grew up riding and racing motocross and mountain bikes. Um, and I always had some mechanical background. I, I worked as a bicycle mechanic uh, up until college. Um, went to college as a engineer got my mechanical engineering degree and uh soon after started a company called luxon engineering which is a uh, mechanical engineering consulting firm uh product development work for all sorts of different industries and uh, a few years into that well quite a few years into that um i saw an opportunity in the motocross world uh for making some cool parts that could really solve some problems that i saw that weren't really being addressed so we started up Luxon MX as a kind of a side company, and it's been slowly growing since then to where we're at now. Well, there you go. What was the main problem that you you set out to fix uh, from your first product? Um, it was more of a general situation where I, I didn't really see much engineering involved in the motocross world. It was pretty much guess and check, uh, machine shops making parts that, were nicely anodized, but really didn't function that great. So I, I saw an opportunity where we could apply our engineering background in the moto parts and really set us apart and offer something much nicer than what was available otherwise. Certainly, you're going to cut right through the fluff and uh, and get straight to uh, the science behind ha- helping the motorcycle handle a lot better. Uh, that begs the question, because uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about how a motorcycle handles well, what makes it handle well, what's handled poorly. Um, more often than not, we, we blame uh, specific parts or honestly just rider error more than anything. But what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions within the market when it comes to triple clamps? Um, I think just a general big misconception is that the, the motorcycle is a full package. So you can't just replace your triple clamps and then everything's great. Uh, you have to look at the whole package. So your, your triple clamps interact with the forks, interact with the wheels, interact with the chassis. Uh, the whole thing really is the, what you need to look at, um, a lot of people sell things as, well, stiffness is a good one. That is another great misconception, um, and this all kind of ties in. So, like, imagine you you have really stiff hubs and rims, and then you throw on a set of triple clamps. Well, you can't really complain that the triple clamps are stiff because maybe you're feeling the overly stiff hubs and rims. You know, it's it's the package of those two plus everything else that really combines to make that feel Um, right and stiffness is is oversimplified in general Um, a lot of people will talk about it magazines test writers everybody says oh the blah 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 it's too stiff or it's too flexy Um, but that's that's oversimplified it stiffness is a directional uh, situation so is it too stiff front to back side to side Proportionally, they all play a different role in how the bike feels and handles. 
Certainly, I, I immediately equate that to say even handlebars. Like, like you run the entire like don't change anything but the handlebars. And for myself, uh, going from a crossbarless bar to a bar with a crossbar on it, like that, it can literally make the entire bike feel a lot differently. At least in the hands, for sure. Yeah. So it's it's kind of funny when somebody gets a new bike and then they they change out a whole bunch of stuff to different aftermarket parts and then they complain about one particular part being too stiff. Like, well, what about everything else you changed? Um, yeah, and there's, exactly. There's certainly some parts that are kind of a, a fad to talk about stiffness and flex and feel with when people forget about all the other stuff that, that's not talked about very often. So when it comes to uh, looking for someone to like kind of tune in the feel or the feedback that they're getting from the motorcycle. What would, what is your approach when you get a brand new motorcycle? And I'm sure you get a brand new bike every, every few years, uh, especially when testing uh, parts and stuff like that. What's your ap- approach to like kind of adding those components that are complementary to each other? Is there a, a common starting spot? And um, like, how do you sort of like go about that? Um, as far as like for me on my personal bike, uh, I know a lot of what I like, already um some of that stuff doesn't have to do with the stiffness or anything at all like uh foot pegs i really like a, a pro pegs or a raptor titanium style foot peg just for the the extra grip um i like certain handlebars uh there's i'm not too picky with bars um but there are definitely bars i would avoid like a, a renthal twin wall is incredibly stiff um so the Usually, like the the really fast pros that prefer prefer a much stiffer feel will like those things. Um, but I see a lot of amateurs buying those um, just because that's what the pros run, and that's really the wrong direction for most people. Um, so yeah, I, I immediately put on the stuff I know that I'm going to like, and it isn't really an issue. And then from there, it's a matter of riding the bike, feeling it out, and then changing one thing at a time to figure out what did that do? Was that a positive or a negative and adjusting from there? Hmm. It's super interesting. Now the, the guys over at, uh, the club of MX team, I mentioned them a few minutes ago, they're running your clamps, uh, as well as possibly some other bolt on, uh, components that you provide. Um, how, how did that come about? And, uh, who else runs uh, your product in Supercross? I also noticed that, uh, our friend, uh, B Ray, Brandon Ray has been running it as well. Yeah. Um, well, with Club, we've been with them for uh, oh, two years now. Uh, so this year, last year, and then the year before, we were they were running our stuff in motocross with Phil Nicoletti. Um, so we've got a, a really good relationship with them. Uh, they're great to test with and get feedback from. So they've they've actually been instrumental in developing some of our latest clamp revisions. Um, but yeah, they they run our clamps, uh, linkage, knuckle, and some other miscellaneous bits and pieces um that's been going great the they've been plagued with some injuries this year which is unfortunate um march banks was injured before the season started and then uh his fill-in uh preston kilroy uh he got injured in the first race and then nick just got injured at oakland so they're uh they're down to two guys now um they are their two fastest guys so far in the series uh jeremy martin and enzo lopes um, so hopefully they can keep, uh, doing what they're doing and maybe we'll get some other fill-ins and then, uh, March Bank should be coming back pretty soon. Um, he's getting healed up. So, uh, That's awesome. we'll see what happens with, with them. Um, uh, but we've got a lot of other guys. We've got about 30 professional riders so far this year. Um, so just some, some highlights. We've got Partzilla, PRMX, Kawasaki, that whole team, uh, Cade Clayson, Josiah Natsuki. Um, Hunter Yoder and, and a few other guys. Uh, Mad Parts, Kawasaki, Freddie Noren, John Short, Bubba Pauly. Uh, we've got a NMXGP team. Uh, JWR Honda has a couple guys. Okay. And we've got a slew of privateers. Um, Grant Harlan, uh, Carnow, B-Ray, Jared Lesher, Stank Dog, Cartwright, Jeff Walker, and, and a few others. So we've got a lot of different guys to work with on all sorts of different brands of bikes, and that's very beneficial for us to to get feedback on everything that's out there. 
That's really interesting. And honestly, I think that's really cool that you have so many of those privateers because a lot of those guys have a choice of what they can ride. Like if you talk to uh, the, the team pro circuit guys or something along those lines, they're, they're pigeonholed that they're, they're running pro circuit, whether they like it or not, or, or same thing with uh, some other guys that are on different teams. Uh, when you're running your own program, you get to select a lot of your own parts and stuff like that. And uh, it's cool to see them uh, go after uh, and look to Luxon MX as uh, the, the components to go to um, when it come either, whether it's linkage components or triple clamps. And honestly, for you being able to be with club and Jeremy Martin, a guy who's won multiple Supercrosses as well as uh, like 250 Supercrosses, two well two 250 Supercross uh, or outdoor championships. Like to have your product on a single digit bike, that's got to be a cool feeling for a company that hasn't been around for a, a terribly long amount of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, Club, we uh, we initially just sent them a bunch of product and they they tested it against what they were running before, which was uh, Xtrig and some other stuff and the riders came back and they really love the feel of our clamps. So we, we started working with them as kind of a trial with Nicoletti and outdoors. And then that went really well. So that's, that's where they're at now um, running all our stuff. Um, we're trying to break in and work with some of the factory guys, but that's a little bit harder to do. Like you said, some of them are stuck Like KTM's going to run the WP clamps. I mean, there's not much we can do there. Um, but where we can get into factory teams, we're trying to get into them. But it's it's harder to get a hold of those guys and schedule some testing. So we actually haven't done any testing with any of the, the big factory guys yet just because we can't schedule a time to get over there and do it. So hopefully this, as we see more and more success, then that will kind of get their eyes on us and uh, they'll be more open to, to doing that. Certainly, and the more of those guys that are running the the, the clamps, the more uh, people like me who are glued to the televisions on Saturday, uh, checking to see or going to the races, checking to see what's under the tents, and uh, and going on uh, on the week uh, during the week online to the Luxon MX to go purchase. So yeah. when it comes to purchasing a set of triple clamps, or even getting interested in replacing the stock triple clamps that come on the motorcycle. What sort of questions can people be asking? And like, say when I go out there on the track, are there any particular like negative feedback I can be getting from the machine that might uh, sort of lead me in the direction that I should be replacing my uh, triple clamps? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the first question to ask yourself uh, if you're in the market is what is it you're trying to fix with a new set of triple clamps or any other part for that matter? Um, are you looking for a different feel out of the bike? Are you looking to reduce weight? Uh, are you looking to just look cool with some added bling? Um, some combination of all that. Uh, and that might direct you, the answer to that might direct you to one company over another. Um, generally, you want to look at the different companies' offerings and see how, how do their clamps fix whatever problem you're looking for. And does that company look to have a good knowledge of what they're doing and and really have their claims that they make about performance backed up in some way or another. Um, so our clamps, uh, it like anything, it's a, a compromise. Um, that's a an engineering thing. If you're going to make an, a new product or part or whatever, it's going to be a compromise of one thing over another. Uh, say it's lightweight and strong, it's going to be expensive generally. So there's a compromise in cost, or you can make it cheap, but then it's not going to be quite as light or quite as strong or quite as optimized. So it, everybody has a compromise in one, one area or another. So it's a matter of understanding those and then figuring out which one is right for you. Well, fair enough. I guess like that my, my next question is where, uh, if anywhere, do stock components compromise and, and leave performance on the table? Um, are there some OEMs that are more guilty than others? Uh, and I'd imagine for you, someone who's like essentially uh, solving like issues or problems um, from that triple clamp standpoint, like it, it must be different from one manufacturer to another. Although uh, Gas Gas, Husqvarna and KTM, um, at least those guys all have the same problem. Yeah. Um, so across the board, all the, the OEMs leave performance on the table. Um, and that's not a dig at them at all. It's, it's back to that compromise I was talking about earlier where they have yeah. to compromise on cost. 
So they, they have to release a bike that's reasonably priced. So if they went out and optimized every one of their parts to be as high performance as possible, you'd end up with a $75,000 motorcycle. And there's not many people who are going to buy that. So they, they realize that. So they make something, say, clamps, for example. They make those to the, I don't know, 80 90% mark of how good they can be. And then they leave that extra 20 10% on the table. And then they do that all around the bike, and then suddenly the bike is a more reasonable price point, and people can buy it. Um, there you go. I, I wonder what the like the absolute limit is as to like how tricked out you could build an OEM bike. I guess they've sort of done that with the, the factory editions, but like I, I'm wondering like how they came to the sort of that limit of what someone's willing to spend on a dirt bike. Um, cause that, that sort of, it changes for everybody, right? There's some people who have deeper pockets than others. Um, and also there's some people out there who sort of want to build their own thing. Yeah. Um, the factory edition bikes are, are relatively new, um, especially from like Honda and Cowie and everybody. Um, and a lot of it is really more bling stuff than performance. Um, like sure they'll have like a a uh, slip on or some of them do uh suspension coatings and some of them do some, or some head work uh, extra extra porting yeah um but a lot of them have stock clamps uh and various most other parts are stock um wheels are basically stock or they're anodized or or whatnot so it's it's certainly not a full like professional level race bike that you'd find in the pits um but it's it's kind of a step up to where they kind of guessed at what most people are wanting to replace and they do that and it really saves the consumer some money if you're looking to replace all those parts because you're not paying for the stock parts and throwing them out and putting these other aftermarket parts on they're already there yeah for certainly and then also like they get it they would get a deal like say if it's like uh honda i think their bike their edition came one one year i think either came with the fat bar 36 or at least came with renthal fat bars and like renthal selling like say a thousand units to honda at a much better price than they can sell it to you and both both companies do well because uh it's all about volume right yeah yeah so there's there's a lot of things that are at work there um so it if you you're in the market for a, a nice bike and the factory edition appeals to you and it's got all the parts that you would put on or close enough, then that might be a great deal. I've never really been attracted to them uh, just because I like to really customize everything to exactly what I want. So I'm better off starting off from a stock bike and, and replacing the things with exactly what I'm looking for. What if the 2024 um, KTM 450 Factory Edition came with Luxon MX triple clamps on it, though. How cool would that be? That would be pretty cool. I don't see it happening because uh, <laughs> they're they got WP and yeah. uh, WP has their own clamps, so kind of locked out of that one. But uh, I'd be into it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But you would not turn down that phone call. Uh, you do. You, you you answer every time I call as well. So uh, it's uh, the, the the helpline over at, uh, at Luxon MX is uh, is a very useful one. Um, Let's let's take the, the the WP triple clamp for 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 example when it comes to the approach on how to design a new product that um, that exceeds the performance of the status quo, which is what comes on a stock motorcycle. What's your approach to that? How are you solving the problems that um, or the the shortcomings of a product like that? Um, that's a a pretty complicated question. Well, complicated yes, answer. We asked the a, hard questions here. Somewhat simple question. Um, we actually have a blog post uh, that kind of goes over a lot of it. There's just a side note. Uh, our website has some blog posts that get pretty technical, and but still in a way that you can understand. Um, they go over all sorts of different uh, things, and and one of them is bringing a new product to uh, to the market. Like, what does it take? So. Anybody's listening here, they can hop on our website and check out that blog post, and you see a bunch of pictures and step by step. Um, that in particular, I, I actually wrote and put up there because I get so many requests for one-off parts or uh, parts for a really old bike or something, and it, I need a good way to 
point people to that so they can understand why things are really expensive when you're only making a couple of them. Um, but anyway, that's a that's a good read. But more back to your question, um, it, it's pretty product specific. Uh, in general, you, you need to identify what it is that the stock part or whatever part you're replacing is uh, leaving on the table and what are you trying to improve. Um, once you understand that, then you, you really need to identify what changes you need to make to get to the improvement and the goals that you're looking to achieve. Um, from there, you come up with a, your rough initial design, uh, usually in a 3D CAD program. Uh, we use SolidWorks for most all our CAD. Okay. Uh, and then from there, generally it's a, a structural part, say triple clamps, we'll use that as the example. Um, we run a lot of optimization or analysis to see what the performance is in the computer before we even make the thing. So we have a lot of history with designing of triple clamps. So um, we've also reverse engineered a lot of our competitors and stock clamps. So we know the, the stiffness and the strength performance of a lot of different parts, um, which gives us a pretty good background into knowing what we need to do to change a particular design to achieve a, a particular goal. So we can refine our design all on the computer without making anything. So we save a lot of time doing that and we can hit really precise targets for what we're looking to achieve. Um, from there, we come up with an actual physical prototype, go out into the machine shop and make the parts and then do some physical testing. So the what the computer says you should want and what the writer actually wants are usually pretty close, but they're they're never spot on. So we need to do a lot of physical testing where we're actually riding the bike, getting feedback across different tracks, different riders, um, different scenarios, and understand what we need to change to the design to really tweak it in to get it to where it needs to be. So from there, we rework, rework the design, do some iterations, and repeat the testing until we end up with something we're really happy with. And from there, it's finalizing everything and putting it into production. Well, there you go. And just like kind of like elevating every single time and, and, and just creating something that is going to service the, the end user just that little bit better. Um, like it must honestly be pretty difficult for yourself to take your own product. Cause like, I believe you're on a gen two triple clamp. Gen three is coming out, um, within a few months or so. Um, how do you outdo yourself as far as an engineer? Like that, that's kind of like a, that, that's a, a bit, maybe a bigger challenge than anything. Yeah. Um, and basically the, the simple answer is we're always learning. Um, I don't care how much experience somebody has. They're, they're never, never going to create the ultimate product because give it another couple months and they'll learn something new or they'll have to adapt to some other change that the OEMs made or, or whatever it may be, and you can make the product just a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. So we're actually changing our products all the time. Um, you, like you, you said, the Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, well, within those, there's different revisions, and changes might be because we found a way to make a part a little bit more reliable or we learned that the, our part doesn't quite fit. It needs a little bit more clearance on a particular brand's bike. Um, KTM has a problem with welding their uh, rectifier on at random locations that has interfered with our clamps. So okay. we've had to make some changes to the clamps to adapt to that that we didn't realize when we first released them. Um, little things. Um, so the things are always improving all the time. And then when we have enough of changes to make a, a complete redesign, then we'll do a complete new generation. So our, our current clamps that we have in stock for sale right now are Gen 2, and then we have the Gen 3 stuff that's coming out real soon for uh, Yamaha in particular, based on the work we did with Club MX most recently, um, and then the other brands are to follow. Um, that's not to say that the Gen 2 is obsolete anymore. Actually. Speaking of the blog posts, I have a blog specifically on the Gen 3 and the differences on the website. Um, and the Gen 2 is still a great clamp that's in some ways better than the Gen 3 and other ways not as good. It, again, it kind of comes down to what you're looking to do and what you're looking to improve over the current parts. 
Well, certainly, people should go to luxonmx.com and uh, put in their pre-order for those uh, those Gen 3 Pro triple clamps today. Um, and the, the company's not just triple clamps. You've got a, a ton of other products that you guys uh, have rolling off the uh, the showroom floor on a regular basis. Uh, what are some of your best sellers? And, and also, is there one particular product that you were like most proud of? You're like, yeah, I we crushed that. We really we knocked that one out of the park. It's a huge improvement. Um, our best sellers, that's easy. That's a uh, bar mounts. Uh, we have a, an anti-twist bar mount for rubber mounted bars, uh, that fit the stock clamps. And that's across the board for, uh, Suzuki, Kawasaki, Honda, Yamaha, KTM, and Husky. Um, so those, those guys with their rubber mounted bars, uh, have problems with the, the bars twisting up in a crash or tip over. So we have a, an anti-twist bar mount, which is essentially just a single-piece lower bar mount um, that stiffens everything up, not stiffens in a way that you feel, but stiffens in a way in a crash it won't twist up. Um, so that that's available at a, a relatively approachable price point and solves that twisting problem, um, so you don't have to go back to the pits and loosen everything and smash it all around and straighten it back out. It just doesn't twist up. So you're telling me that there is a product out there that would will stop me from every time that I tip over, which unfortunately is more often than I would like to admit uh, that when I look down at my front wheel uh, in relation to the bars that I'm not pulling a 90-degree turn? Uh, I am. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, that is great news. If, if, I've, if I've gotten anything positive out of this this conversation so far, that I think that might have to be it right there. Uh, and also, on top of that, you guys have um, not just bar mounts for uh, your regular, uh, like a regular fat bar or uh, a, cro- a crossbars bar. You also have the, the, the Renthal Fat Bar 36 uh, diameter as well. That's pretty neat. Yeah, um, those are some pretty cool bars. They're super light. Um, they, they don't seem to be as popular as I thought they would be. Um, but, uh, the people that do have those, they're happy with them. That's what I've been using on a lot of my bikes. Uh, and they're, they're generally about a quarter pound lighter than, uh, the competing bars. So if you're looking to reduce weight, that's really the way to go. Um, they're the bar mounts that they sell for them are pretty basic and not very impressive. Um, so that's why we came up with our version of the or anti-twist mounts to fit the fat bar 36 bars. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that particular product's going to take a little bit of time to, uh, as long as they can continue to market it properly, it's going to take a bit of time to sort of grab hold of people because, like, right off the hop, I think uh, Kenny was on it. I think somebody else was from Honda was on it. Uh, and I think at the very beginning, Adam Cincerullo was on it. And I think maybe what hurts the 36 is that it was a change and then guys go back to what they were running before. Um, like Cincerullo known to like change, whether it be a crossbar bar or uh, a standard bar or a crosslip barless bar, almost with the wind. So um, yeah, fans watching that, they're like, they see see people trying the 36, having uh, uh, success with it. And in fact, that was... Uh, Ken Roxon's first win back uh, after his arm injury was actually using the Fat Bar 36, um, but then he's moved away from it since. So uh, I don't, it doesn't necessarily make, give that bar a bad rap, but when you see like professionals try it and then move away, uh, layperson immediately say, thinks there's a problem with them, or like I'll, I'll have that same problem. Even though uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that um, Eli Tomac or um, Ken Roxon's experience riding a dirt bike is slightly different than mine. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of those guys are just super picky and finicky with stuff. True. So they're just stuck in their ways, even if it's, better. yeah, it's, it's not a, you generally don't want to look at what the pro is writing and, and copy it directly. <laughs> um, you'd be buying a lot of parts that way <laughs> and, uh, they may not be the right parts for you either. Fair enough. So, um, Talk, talk to me a little bit about the the linkage components as well. Like, uh, I think your your triple clamps are obviously a flagship product for you. Um, but uh, when it comes to linkage components, that in itself is a uh, a dark art that um, uh, you're a whole lot more educated than I am. I think most people would 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 like full truth serum would not really know what to what to do with 
linkage components or, or how they like how it can even be improved? Yeah. Um, well, there's two parts to the linkage. Uh, there's the knuckle and then there's the linkage arm. Um, so you see a lot of linkage arms available from aftermarket companies. And it, it's kind of funny that the, it seems that the, the general solution amongst the aftermarket is to make the linkage arm one or one and a half millimeters longer than stock for every bike every year, which I find kind of laughable. Um, it seems funny that the OEMs would get it wrong by one millimeter consistently every year all the time. It seems um, like an easy fix. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's simply because they're not getting it wrong. Um, we see the, the linkage arm as something that needs to be adjustable, which is why ours is sold as an adjustable linkage. Uh, it's a, uh, more of a tuning aid than a simple bolt-on fix to something. Interesting. So um, you get a, a tall professional rider going wide open around a, a big loamy sand track. They're going on a different setting than a, a short amateur rider on a hard pack tight track or even mix those around tall pro rider on a hard pack tight track is going to be different than a short rider on a sand track or short rider on the tight track. It, every condition is different. Every rider is different. Every rider style different. Um, and it, everybody's going to want a slightly different linkage length because that's going to, it's going to rake out the front of the bike differently. It's going to make the rear end sit a little bit differently. It doesn't change the actual motion ratio of the, the linkage all that much. Um, it does get a little bit more linear the longer it is in general. But for the most part, when you're changing the linkage length, you're looking to make a change to the rake of the bike or lower the rear end just a touch. Um, so we make ours adjustable so that you can tune around, tune with, tune with it, play with it. Uh, you can always go back to the stock length with our adjustable length linkage um, if you don't like any of the options or you, maybe you find something that works a little bit better for your scenario. Um, the linkage knuckle is something that you don't see changed all that often. Um, some companies do change it. Uh, we only change it when it makes sense. And the knuckle, generally you're not looking to change the ride height or the rake of the bike or anything at all. You're looking to change the motion ratio of the linkage, which affects how the shock works. So the, the only knuckle that we offer currently is for the, the previous generation KTM Husqvarna and the current generation Gas Gas. Um, we have two different knuckles with two completely different ratios for two different suspension tuning companies. So when we're changing knuckles to get a particular motion ratio, we're working with a suspension company to see what it is that they're looking for in that change. So, for example, we have one knuckle that makes everything much more progressive than the stock knuckle, which is fairly linear. Um, and that makes it more of a standard uh, style that most tuners are used to, like a more of a Japanese-style motion ratio. Um, we have another knuckle that's completely opposite of that um, that works with the MX Tech National Shock, and we made that as linear as we could, which is even more linear than stock because that shock uses a different system to control bottoming. So with a more linear ratio, they can have a little bit better control of the valving um, to suit the rider and then control bottoming with their huck valve. So the, in general, the knuckle can, can make huge changes. You just, you just have to make sure that whatever knuckle you're getting has been really well designed and whoever's doing it knows what they're doing to make the appropriate changes. Interesting. So, um, like I, I noticed that you, you've got, uh, like the suspension knuckle for certain brands and not others. Um, is that just on straight up like demand or is that also, uh, in certain cases, the, 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 the stocky OEM equipment, uh, is tough to beat as well. Um, there's a few reasons for that. So the, the OEM Yamaha knuckle, um, is pretty good. Uh, we offer one, but it's identical geometry to stock. Uh, the the difference there is just lighter weight. Okay. And really that only came to be because of Club MX was looking to drop some more weight. So we came up with a knuckle that was a good deal lighter than stock, but otherwise the same. Uh, uh, the, okay. the KTM Husky stuff, uh, that's mostly what I was just talking about. Um, we saw 
opportunities to really improve things with a different uh, motion ratio there. So we offer it for those. Um, we're, we've got a new one in the works for the 23 model um, that's not available yet, but we're, we're working on it, so that's coming soon. And then uh, Cowie stuff, we, had, we just haven't had time to really dive into that, um, but it's something we'd like to look at eventually. Okay, fair enough. Um, so when, when it comes to like the KTM, Gas, Gas, Karskvarna, like in some people's eyes, they're three manufacturers. Uh, in many eyes, it's one. Essentially, it's 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 it's, K, it's KTM Australia or Austria. Um, like, is there any sort of like different approach when it comes to designing a, a product for any three of them, or are they all kind of interchangeable? Just the color of the plastic. Uh, as far as our products, they're all interchangeable. Um, okay. There are obviously differences between those three bikes. Uh, they're pretty minor, uh, especially with the, the latest generation. Um, they all have the same subframe. The frame's all the same. Uh, they have some different suspension valving, which is kind of irrelevant if you're an advanced rider. You're getting your suspension revalved anyway. Um, and they have a few miscellaneous things that are different here and there but overall it's the color and the plastics that are different um, especially if you're changing the the valving and respringing and everything for you um, so i don't know that's that's more of a what color do you like the best <laughs> situation <laughs> fair enough yeah no i i certainly feel that way um it's it's amazing to see a, a brand like them come into the like run like ktm uh you and i have been around the sport long enough to remember when ktm in fact like they're the only current manufacturer uh that never won a 250 supercross on two strokes never happened um so it wasn't even that long ago that they were pretty relevant as far as like being a competitive brand over here in the states as far as supercross goes um i don't think a two a two, 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 two stroke won an outdoor either i think that i actually can guarantee that um but either way like it, it's pretty amazing to see that brand do what they've done over the last 15 20 years yeah they've really uh ramped up development and and made a a great bike. Uh, I think a big part of that was Dungey back when they uh, were developing the uh, uh, when was that? It was the 2013 bike, I think was the first one with a, a linkage. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, ever since then things have gotten gotten really good. Um, that's actually my go-to bike. I have a couple Huskies and a KTM. Okay. Um, I, I believe that they are really the top of the game for out of all the bikes uh, KTM Husky gas gas. Um, the, the new bikes, they're starting to catch up though. I mean, it was, they were the clear winner for me at least, you know, five years ago or four years ago. Um, but lately, uh, Honda, Cowie and Yamaha have really stepped it up. Just completely excluding Suzuki from that conversation. Of course, <laughs> uh, this is actually yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, it's fun. Like, we haven't seen it in a long, long time. Like in the eighties, we saw a lot of manufacturers disappear. Like a lot of European ones, seventies uh, for sure as well. We, we haven't had like one, like obviously that there was the big four, like the four dragons for the longest time, probably 25 years. They were basically all on each other. Like they were on even footing. Do you think that there's any possibility that like at some point Suzuki just isn't making dirt bikes anymore? I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're a huge company, and they make a lot of money in in cars and and other bikes. Uh, and dirt bikes is just a tiny portion of it. Yeah. So it's it's really going to be up to their higher ups to to uh, either invest more in the moto side, or they're going to cut it out. Um, so it's not something really any motocross guy can predict. I don't think it's it's whatever the business guys and and the people with the big say are going to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that is, it'll be a corporate decision because yeah, that they're, they're um, like similar to Honda, like Honda motocross is, is a drop in the bucket compared to all of the other things that they do. Um, they're the, they're the largest small engine manufacturer in the world, uh, that like they probably make more off of, uh, scooter engines that get sent off to, uh, Indonesia than they do for North American motocross bikes, but um, 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see uh, like a, a brand like Suzuki, which like they've won championships not that long ago, um, just basically completely pull back from like the research and development side of things, uh, coming out with new stuff. It's yeah, it's it's just lipstick on a pig every year. Yeah, um, Honda's really embraced their racing though. Um, yes, and it they use it as a really good marketing tool. Uh, so if, if you're you're big into racing and you really love your Honda dirt bike, you're you're much more likely to go out and buy a Honda car than you would a Ford or something. Um, so I I see them embracing it a lot more and and probably uh, sticking with it for quite some time. And I mean I don't see them backing off at all. Suzuki is a little bit different. I mean I'm not going to go out and buy a Suzuki car. Um, I think they're really popular over in Asia. Um, but that's obviously not our market. Yeah. So it's it's a different scenario. I I really hope they uh, jump back into it and really invest some more into the moto side. And right now we just can't justify making many parts for a Suzuki aside from bar mounts. Uh, but if they really start investing more and they come out with an all new bike, then that's we're going to take a much harder look at it and probably come out with some more parts, triple clamps and whatnot for them. Certainly. I'm always amazed with the, the how far the reach is as far as uh, Big MX Radio, the, the, the number of listeners, as well as the, the, the countries who listen. I, I often, I don't get huge numbers in some far off lands, but I'm always amazed to hear, see that like 500 people on a monthly basis in Russia listen, or someone, people in Finland or something along those lines. Uh, where is the, the strangest or most unlikely place that you've uh, sent us uh, some product off to over the years oh man that's a, a good question um i've definitely had a bunch of them where i i look at the order i'm like where is that and i've <laughs> got to look it up um so there there's certainly been some really strange ones um i when i first started this i expected u.s and maybe a couple orders from canada and europe um, we actually do quite a bit in Europe, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, but we've shipped all over the place. Uh, we've shipped parts of the Bahamas, uh, Austria, uh, just just all over the place. There, there's nothing really that jumps out in my mind right now, and I, I just can't remember where some of the super weird ones were, but they were bizarre it took some digging to uh dig up the right right way to write the address on the uh the shipping label yeah i always find it funny that you go to a, a north american or an american website and it asks for a zip code and up here in canada we have postal codes and more often it happens less now but like years ago if you didn't like for us it's a six digit thing and it's not digits it's letters and numbers and back in the day if like if you didn't have an actual zip code it straight up wouldn't allow you to complete your order because like letters and numbers didn't compute into the thing that they were like that that particular field and you yeah. just straight up couldn't order um pro circuit was like that for a long time is that you you couldn't uh, order things uh straight to canada you'd actually have to have it shipped to uh like a yeah, sometimes people who live really close to the border we have like a mike's parcel pickup it's a company that literally all they do is basically just act as a american mailbox for people they charge like five bucks oh. a package or whatever and yeah they just do it that way that's uh, probably a good way to save on some import duties too. It did, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, like I don't think the border patrol is listening to this podcast, but what I used to do <laughs> is I would take uh, I would take a painted helmet with me across the border, and then when I was coming back, I would just show them the painted helmet and the that it was a gift um, that like the paint job was free, and they're like they just sort of like roll their eyes at me and. I'd have a, pair, a set of eight kit suspension in the back seat of my truck, and off we went. So yeah. <laughs> yep it works um so i know you got a ton of extra stuff to do this afternoon slash evening you you often uh, pull the long hours over at luxon mx luxon engineering um but i also wanted to mention for those who are listening um like you guys make amazing products that are all priced amazingly but on top of that if they enter big mx at checkout you're going to save 10 percent. which on a set of triple clamps like that's literally like you offering 
every listener of the Big MX Radio podcast, if they want to buy a set of triple clamps, you're just handing them a hundred dollars, and that's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got a that obviously, and then there's also a crash replacement policy, which is nice. Um, if you manage to uh, wad up really bad and bend something or break something, we have a discount. Um, depending on what information you can supply us with, uh, there's different discount tiers. But generally, it's 30% off on uh, replacement parts. So, Well, that's awesome. That's- so, so I might be able to save 10% on a brand new set of triple clamps. And then depending on how cool of a story it is of when I crashed, I might actually save more than 30%. Yeah, basically, we're just trying to learn from whatever happened. I mean, a lot of crashes are just big crashes and things are going to break. So that there's not much we can change there. Um, but sometimes we can learn from it. So if you have like a, a GoPro video of you riding and crashing and we can check that out and see what ac- actually happened or somebody's on the side taking video photos and happens to catch it, then uh, you get a little bit bigger discount. But worst case, it's 30% off and you're up and running for a, a lot less money than you would be otherwise. Insert me sending you a GoPro footage and with me like voicing over it being like, in a land where the braking bumps were too big. Like, <laughs> I love it. Um, well, Billy, I really hope that uh, the Big MX Radio faithful have you uh, busy as ever and just uh, taking all the stock off your shelves, uh, like just maxing out those pre-orders and everything like, like that. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and t- talking with us a little bit about your product, your company, and uh, as well as just uh, answering some questions that people might have about the dark art of triple clamps and hard parts that uh, they might already they might not already know about. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Awesome, man. Well, um, where, where can people go to find out more information on social media? The website itself is uh, luxonmx.com. Really easy to use the website too, by the way. If I could ha- give you applause on anything extra would be the fact that the website itself is super informative and very easy to navigate. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, the, we try to make it full of information to really support what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, so you, you go to our website and there's a lot of background and, and things you can learn from and and really build confidence that we actually know what we're doing and not just anodizing a, a machine part to look cool. Um, aside from that, we got our Instagram, obviously, uh, Lux, on, Lux on MX, Facebook, same thing, uh, Twitter, all the usual channels. All right on. So, ladies and gentlemen, go to luxonmx.com. Go check it out. Drool over the parts. Click on the, the the blog post. Get yourself educated on how you can implement some of these products on your motocross bike and uh, feel more comfortable on your bike. Enjoy it more. Drop your lap times and uh, just yeah, enjoy your throttle therapy. I think that's what this is all about, man. Absolutely. Awesome. Billy White here on the Big MX Radio Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time today. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>